Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, I am super excited. We have our first podcast guest calling all the way in from Ghana. She's going to be speaking on the topic of a global perspective on equity. And our guest speaker is Olanike Minsa. She's the founder and CEO of Mosaic Consulting. But before we get into the podcast, I'd like to share a few resilience resources and reminders. In Asfalis News, you can feel free to recommend a guest for the podcast to download our five-step crisis strategy guide that you can use to navigate any business through any crisis in any industry. And if you would like to request me your host as a speaker for your upcoming program, you can find all three of those links in the show notes for today's episode. Also in the news for Disaster Recovery Journal, if you would like to stay updated on upcoming webinars, upcoming conferences, as well as the Disaster Recovery Journal, you can also find those links in our show notes. And lastly, if you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This really, really helps us to make sure that we're adding value, but more importantly, so we can meet more people who are looking for us. So with that, I'm going to welcome Dr. O to the podcast. I speak it into existence. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, yes, I claim it. Oh, <laughs> Thank you for how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, what time is it in Ghana? It is 8, 16 p.m. <laughs> We're six hours ahead of Charlotte. Well, I thank you right for now. joining us. And thank you for um, allowing us to creep into your evening tonight. <laughs> happy, to, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you. So I've been really looking forward to today's conversation. So just just to kind of kick us off, can you share with our listeners more about you and your background and really how you got into this space? Yeah, so I feel like I lived a life sort of at intersections. (laughs) Um, I was raised on two continents. So um, my parents were were an R Nigerian, one has passed away, um, and had me while they were in graduate school in the United States. So I was born there and then we moved back to Nigeria until I was 10, then we moved back to the US. So I have childhood memories and friends from both places. Um, So there's that very obvious sort of, you know, intersectional identity in in terms of nationality. Um, And then because of all the moves and the life story that my family has, you know, I have, even though I'm a citizen, I have an immigrant experience because my none of my other family members were citizens when we were going through everything that we went through moving back to the US. So there's lots of immigrant, you know, sort of related identity um, development stuff <laughs> mixed up in that. Um, I've both, you know, experienced um, like a very comfortable middle class life growing up and also not the opposite, you know, relying on donations to just to get the, a meal, right? So there's, there's all these different, you know, 
um, nationality differences, uh, class, racial development and identity, learning about racism, you know, as I came into my adolescence when we moved to Ohio, actually. Um, and, and I talk about that in my TEDx talk, so I won't go into it, but there's just, so I just, all of these life experiences basically meant that I was very attuned to who was included and who wasn't included because there were times where I was included and times where I wasn't included. So I was always the person trying to figure out like who's being left out and how do I get them to be included, you know, growing up. And then as I grew up and came into adulthood and um, entered the workforce, that sort of turned into DEI work in addition to whatever my job description was. Even though the terminology didn't really exist in the way that it does now, the field has grown so much in the last 20, 30 years. Um, so I was sort of doing this work just out of passion and out of wanting to see more equity um, in the workplace and um, slowly but surely over the course of my career it became more and more evident that this is what I was most passionate about. Um, and so I founded Mosaic to be able to do this full time. Wow. Thank you. Beautiful story. <laughs> it really helped to answer the question too. So what, what I was going to ask you was how, you know, by you living in multiple countries, how did that help to shape your perspective? And it sounds like a part of your perspective was shaped because you had to live it. Absolutely. I, I had to live it. And the other thing is that even though I came to figure out what inequity and injustice looks like, um, as I came into adolescence and adulthood in the United States, um, I'm still very much connected to my family in Nigeria, and now I live in Ghana. So I get to see what inequity and injustice looks like when we're all black and it's there too. <laughs> Colonialism is real and that's also playing out on the continent in a lot of destructive ways. Um, but there's also differences even amongst us black people, us Africans, us Nigerians, Ghanaians, et cetera. Um, and what, I've, what I always tell people when I'm in clients, when I'm working with them is that humans are always gonna human. Like we will find a way <laughs> to use difference for, to gain more power, to build power and and higher and create a hierarchy, like it's just a human issue and it manifests in different ways everywhere on the planet. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So I um, love talking about the topic of inclusion and equity and and diversity. I I share this every chance I get. Our industry is has not gotten it yet, right? And they're still figuring it out. We are still figuring it out. And so when we talk about risk, um, risk to me shows up in a lot of different ways. And you have a TED talk that you did that talked about risk from a female leadership pipeline perspective, specifically Black women. And so um, my next question is, you know, can you share some of the data that you discuss in your TED talk about Black women CEOs for Fortune 500 companies and, and specifically you know, why is that a risk <laughs> that people mm. in my field can really start to pay attention to? Right. You know, I used to work in a cybersecurity um, organization and um, we used to talk about gender, lack of representation with gender a lot and um, how everything has been designed over time and now how our technology is being designed and how our codes um, are, really, are really biased. And so when you don't have representation, um, and when you're not designing things with equity in mind, you're really just, you know, you're, you're, you're working um, with and for a limited 
segment of the demographic of the population. Um, and so think about that from a risk perspective. If you don't have all these different perspectives and viewpoints and expertise present in the ways that you do when you have a diverse makeup of people doing anything, you're missing out on data. You actually don't have all the data. We like to be data-based and evidence-based and all of that, but when you're all looking the same, and talking the same, you know, and from similar racial backgrounds, because we just have to face the truth. Race may not be real, that may be a construct, but racism and the impacts of that is real. And so it does color in, in, um, our perspectives and our life experiences in a way that when you have racial diversity on a team, inherently you have diversity of thought. And so when you are working in a risk management team or field or organization or whatever it might be, it's really a risk to not have diversity on that team and to not be approaching your work um, in an equitable way. So to talk about, I think you're asking about the stats that I shared. When I gave the talk in 2020, there were zero CEOs who looked like me. There were, I, I want to say 7% women, um, but none of them were Black, and the 1% Black CEOs um, of Fortune 500 companies, none of them were women. That stat has changed. Um, and, you know, maybe I had a little something to do with that. I don't know. I doubt it. But I, I like take, to take claim the credit. It. Take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> because now, now there are two Black women CEOs. Um, I mean, that is still like a drop in the bucket in the uh, two out of 500, right? Look, look, um, look, look, look. Just, 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 just what? Two? We're going to claim it, though. Yeah, out two. Out of 500? We're just going to Two out of five. <laughs> that is 0.4%. Come on. 0.4, not even 0.5, not even 1%. Even 1%. No, right? And so when you think about what you're losing out on, <laughs> like the perspective, the insights that you're losing out on by not having representation at the highest levels of these companies, that's one thing. But when you look at data and research at every level, leadership sort of tier leading up to that point, the numbers are just dismal. Right. And so that that's a problem. That's a risk. When when we see these stories where the company puts out a black face doll or a stereotypical, you know, pose with a model or whatever the scenario might be, and everybody reacts and there's uproar and um, on you know the internet and, and, and news, I'm always like, so there was nobody in that marketing team that said this is a problem. There was nobody, like how many approvals did this have to go through and nobody thought this was an issue? That's a problem. Yeah. yeah. So what doesn't get measured won't ever get done. So the data is important and the, the numbers are real. Um, numbers don't lie. And so now that we're aware, um, now, now you can't go back to before. Like now that you guys have heard sure. this podcast, go Google your executive leadership team at your company right now and look at the board of directors and start there and send this podcast to your board, board. of directors. <laughs> right a now. A lot of companies will say, we're diverse. We have 50% women or whatever percent people of color. I want to see your disaggregated data. How many women, Black people, Asian people, Latin people, how many of them are managers? How many of them are directors, VP, SVP level? You know, like those are the numbers that tell you what's really going on, right? When you look at the rates of promotion across demographic groups, 
what do those numbers look like? When you look at the rates that people are entering your companies and leaving your companies across demographic groups, what do those numbers look like? That's where the real number is. That's where you can really figure out what's going on and figure, and with, you know, consultants like, like me and my team, figure out how to really address the issues that are present in terms of um, equity. Awesome. So last question for you, because I could talk to you all day. We might have to do a part two. Okay. Um, yes, so, I'm in. <laughs> I see a lot of organizations that are being performative. And what I mean by that is an event happened and now I want to talk about diversity or now I want to do a panel and talk about the E&I. I've even had clients who say, well, right now diversity is the hot topic, but in six months it won't be. And it's mind boggling for me to hear things like that. And especially in the field of emergency management, where in times of crisis, equity growth or the lack of equity significantly grows and black and brown people are still disproportionately disadvantaged in society. So my question is, how does one move from performative to true equity? Like what might be your, your top two or top three recommendations? And then secondly, you know, as you answer that question, are there any global practices that you see that you might be able to share? It's a good question. I've been saying since last year when everyone decided that Black lives really did matter, that um, a lot of workplaces and companies and organizations were making statements and a few of them were making real commitments and there was a difference. And sure enough, now we, we're starting to see the folks that are that were just performative um, and haven't really done much um, since they made their statement because that's all they really intended to do was to make a statement and it was all gonna, gonna blow over, right? Um, but I'm here to tell you that it's not gonna blow over. Millennials are now more than half of the workforce. They're gonna be 75% of the workforce in like five more years or something like that. And Gen Z is another, <laughs> Gen Z is not having any of it. <laughs> and they're right, they're coming. They're, they're about to enter the workforce. And so the DEI noise or whatever it is that you know folks are thinking it is, it's not going away. The world is changing and they're coming into the workforce and they're demanding better. And so I think that what people can do is to really decide if they've made a statement or a commitment. Like what is your real stake in this? Have you thought about it beyond just some external, you know, momentary thing that's going to that's going to pass? Have you thought about it from a business risk? If you don't evolve, you won't make it. I had to read Good to Great, which is a business book um, in, in college. And you have to evolve, evolve or die. Um, and this is an element of the evolution that's happening right now. And so it is important from a business perspective to really pay good attention to it. Um, make a real commitment, start gathering that data that we talked about, and then get help. And I would say, plug for consultants, it's hard for somebody that's working for you whose livelihood depends on you to tell you the hard truth. So that's where consultants come in. Get consultants that can quit <laughs> because they're not afraid. They don't have that fear of, of speaking the truth. Hire good consultants to come in and work with you to get you through the transition um, to the next best place that you can be as a company. So thank you so much for everything that you've shared. You've got LinkedIn, Instagram, your, your website, and your, your podcast. We're going to drop some of these links in the show notes, but really quickly, can you share some of these links with our listeners? 
Sure, you can find me on, on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Olanike, O-L-A-N-I-K-E. Uh, my website is www.mosaic4, equity4 is the number, the digit4, mosaic4equity.com. And on all the social media places, if you just um, search for at mosaic for equity, I'll come up. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asphalus Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.